And you just start to split up right now. Okay. Yeah. So we can on settle in with a medi brief meditation. I don't know if anybody has some mi any mindfulness experience, but just to kind of bring us into the space and uh, center us. But um, if you can just sit in any position you find comfortable, uh, your, your head, your, your feet and legs can be however uh, uh, you'd like them to be. Eyes can be open or closed as you'd like. Um, if they're open, you can just look at a spot uh, just a little bit in front of you. Um, and just take a deep breath. Continue to breathe and feel your body in the chair. And notice the sounds in the room, sounds from outside, and just, just notice them. You can rest your awareness on your breath and the flow of your breath in and out. You can rest your awareness on one part of the cycle of your breath, if you'd like. Your nose or mouth, or filling your chest, or pushing out your abdomen. And just keep your awareness lightly rested on that spot. somebody you consider a benefactor, somebody who's been benevolent to you. Could be uh, a man or a woman or any gender. Just someone who's just, who's uh, thinking of them, just puts a smile on your face or makes you feel happy or warm. They've been good to you in some way. And you can imagine them saying to you, May you be filled with loving-kindness. May you be well. May you be peaceful and at ease. May you be happy. May you be filled with loving-kindness. May you be well. May you be peaceful and at ease. May you be happy. It's just a gentle wish for friendliness in the space between you and your happiness. And you can imagine yourself saying to them, may you be filled with loving kindness. May you be well. May you be peaceful and at ease. May you be happy. May you be filled with loving kindness. May you be well. May you be peaceful and at ease. May you be happy. And just 
Notice that warmth as you breathe. And that spirit of friendliness. In the Buddhist practice, there's a loving-kindness meditation, loving-kindness sutra. And one of the, one of the uh, stanzas goes like this, and uh, uh, you know, some, sometimes people uh, might have a hard time with it because it it's, talks about motherhood, but you can kind of imagine an idealized mother. Even as a mother, at the risk of her life, watches over and protects her child, so with a boundless mind, may we, uh, now I'm blanking out, may you uh, uh, cultivate uh, an infinite goodwill towards all living things. Sorry, even as a mother, at the risk of her life, watches over and protects her child, so with a boundless mind should you wish love to all living things. So, uh, so thank you again. I'm going to go mostly from my notes, but also speak pretty spontaneously. And, and I appreciate your generosity in coming out to hear me speak. Um, I'm presenting some big picture ideas. And of course, when you work, when any therapist works with an individual, uh, they should try and listen to the individual person and work with them in a spirit of positive, empathic regard, um, and not make assumptions based on ethnicity or gender and so forth but still having some big picture knowledge really helps a lot. And of course, as I said last week about the, the, men's, the men's talk, we don't all stand with our arms crossed, we don't all wear floral shirts, we don't all play video games, but we do at the end of the day, at some point, look like this, stressed out over a computer. Um, but, uh, um, but 
There is significant under, under, uh, understandable mistrust and stranger danger, I think, between the genders right now, particularly in online discourse. There's a lot of cultural and personal wounds rising right now, and it's often hard to find a sense of wholeness and healing. Come on in. So as I was saying, there's a, a lot of cultural wounds and personal wounds rising right now, and it's hard to find a sense of wholeness and healing, uh, especially online. But I think we're making progress. And of course, this is a disclaimer, I'm not a woman, but, uh, but as I'm, and of course, as a man, I will never know what it's like to be an Asian American woman or any woman. I will never know what it feels like uh, to, to be uh, a woman. I will never have the body the mind or the life experience of an Asian American woman. I will never fully know what it's like to be a woman in relationship with a man or a woman. My body will never change the way a woman's body changes every month in adolescence, in pregnancy, and in older age. Um, I will never feel my belly swell with child, my breasts grow with milk, or feel a baby's needs the way a woman feels them. I will never provide for a child the way a woman provides. I will never experience connection with mother, father, partner, and siblings the way a woman does. Um, and I will never experience the world of men the way a woman does. And I will never face violence and discrimination in the ways that women do. And the only way that I can experience a woman's perspective is in my mind and heart. Uh, through empathy, compassion, and relationship. I'm the son of a single mother, and I've had many deep and close women friends, and I work with many women as a therapist. And I like to say as a, a therapist, on any given day, I'm between 40 and 60% woman uh, uh, in mind and heart, uh, because I relate to mostly women. Uh, most of my patients are women because more of them seek care. More men should seek care, of course, but I think more men do need to be comfortable with the feminine principle of relatedness. Um, we all have masculine and feminine energies, and being healthy is a lot about striving for coherent balance in mind and heart. So, uh, on with the show. Um, but, uh, and this, show, this uh, presentation has some humor, so feel free to laugh, feel free to ask questions, um, but I have two revelations uh, to start off uh, right off the bat. First, I have a secret identity, and I'm revealing it right now. Awesome. <laughs> uh, <so. laughs> it's from, from a, a great Asian American film. And also, Andrew Yang has a great camp, new campaign slogan, <clears throat> SPAM, Strategic Placement of Asian Males. So in the, that spirit, uh, I, I will give this presentation. Um, but. We can also look back to other Asians, uh, Asian Americans who have run for uh, president, Hiram Fong back in 64, Bobby Jindal uh, a few years ago, and right now Kamala Harris along with Andrew Yang and Tulsi Gabbard. And we can be especially proud of Patsy Mink who uh, ran for president in 1972 uh, on an anti-war platform. So um, here's a clip of a Saturday Night Live skit called What's My Name? It says here that you're a woman who doesn't support other women. That's right. Is there 
Anything you'd like to say to all the girls watching at home? Nope. Gotcha. Doug, what would you say to the young girls watching? Uh, I don't know. Uh, you're as good as any man. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> well, what would you say? I wouldn't say anything. Camera three, pushing on me. I would listen. Okay, so uh, I'm gonna break that rule and I'm gonna talk for 40 minutes. Uh, uh, I, I've done a lot of listening, but, uh, but there's always more listening to do, and I hope to hear from you during and after the presentation. Um, so here are uh, three basic principles from Buddhism. Uh, life is hard, it all changes, don't take it personally. And I think actually, uh, psychologically, men and women are more alike than different. Uh, and in primal societies, there's actually less gender differentiation than there is in, uh, in quote unquote, more developed societies. Um, and uh, the genders became more polarized after the agricultural revolution, and our egos began to revolve around possessions, houses, and status, um, and more than relationships. Um, but I think we can get back to our roots by relating to each other more deeply. Um, women tend to be, come on in, oh, hi. Um, so women tend to be closer to change, nature, relationship, uh, vulnerability, uh, and the emotional world than many men. That doesn't make them necessarily always wiser or stronger in those domains than all men, but it is a difference. Uh, men and women do need to talk about these domains because they are what ground us and keep us human. We live in different bodies and have different experiences in those bodies, but I think we are alike in more ways than we are different, and we complement each other. Uh, there's no such thing as men without women, and there's no such thing as women without men, and we really have to work together at our relatedness. Uh, but I said women are closer to the world of change, but what changes for a man? I would say the feeling of being liked or disliked, valued or dismissed, accepted or at odds with others. So yes, to that extent, men and women are alike. Um, perhaps the consequences are different for us uh, psychologically and physically, uh, uh, but, but there's a lot of similarity. Um, and it, it can be said, I think, that men are more likely to react aggressively when they're devalued than women. Uh, women have varied responses to being devalued, as do men, but usually at worst, a woman's blowback to being devalued is psychological and relational and often internalized as well. Um, so I, I take my own potential for internal irritation, frustration, and anger very seriously because I know that psychological and relational blowback can cause problems for us all uh, and also internally and trap us in a web of trauma. So life is hard, it all changes, don't take it personally. Those are from the three marks of existence, uh, of suffering, impermanence, and uh, not the lack of an independently existing self. In other words, we're all related, we're all interdependent. So a little bit about uh, uh, Asian mothers, Asian American mothers and fathers. Our, our relationships with our mothers and fathers are central to our development. Mother wounds and father wounds uh, are, are deep and primal. 
and our parents had their own conditions to deal with. So this isn't about blame. It's about recognizing those important conditions of early life, which stay with us throughout life. Um, so the Metta Sutra, which I, which I tried to remember, but uh, was, was imperfect at, um, but it says, uh, even as a mother at the risk of her life watches over and protects her child, so with a boundless mind should one cherish all living things, suffusing love over the entire world. So let one cultivate an infinite goodwill towards the whole world. So that's an idealization. Not everyone has a mother that does this. Uh, and of course, fathers are and should be just as loving. Um, psychiatry has often blamed mothers unfairly for their children's issues uh, or for general societal problems. Uh, and every caring mother I know often feels very self-conscious about parenting uh, and doing it right. And part of being a caring parent, I think, is wondering about how to better tune in to your child's needs. So I always ask my patients, imagine yourself at age four or five. Describe your mother. If I asked you if your mother loved you, what would you say? Uh, how did you know? Was there, was there affection? Was there uh, words of affection? Were there uh, hugs and kisses and so forth? And, and then the same questions for the father or other caregivers. Um, and this gets at the conditions of love and kindness uh, we all faced as children. Uh, a Buddhist counterpart to this, uh, 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 this conditioning is, what was your face before your grandparents were born? Um, in other words, we all have faces beyond the conditioning of this lifetime, a deeper sense of ourselves, and we can all make choices and options beyond what we're given in early life. Um, so I don't think of, I've met any mothers or fathers who don't worry about whether or not they were a good enough parent. Um, so uh, John Bowlby, attachment uh, therapist, uh, says there's no such thing as a baby. There is a baby and someone. We're always in relationship. And our earliest relationships have a great deal to do with who we are. So there are some uh, broad mother types or parent types, mother or father types. The Asian American great mother demanding total obedience in exchange for safety and belonging and so forth. Um, and I just saw another example of the great mother at work. In China, they've got artificial intelligence which, uh, which can track your, uh, which tracks faces and so forth and has facial recognition. And if you're caught jaywalking, it lowers something called your social credit score. So, so this is a, a way that, uh, that, that the great mother uh, of an authoritarian government or the military, et cetera, can penalize you if you step out of line. So that's, that's a, you know, a, a similar concept can happen in a family. Um, so uh, the, there is also the anxious or perfection-oriented pure mother whose uh, main concern is safety. Uh, and the parent may feel very unsafe themselves because of trauma or immigration issues. Um, and uh, uh, they might be very demanding or strong-willed uh, across a, a broad ra range of issues uh, and worried about the uh, keeping you on the straight and narrow, so to speak. And they could be worried and distressed about problems. So sometimes children worry about telling parents certain things and keep things inside. Um, and, uh, and then, so, uh, so then autonomy can be a hard uh, problem. And so there's also uh, the good enough attuned mother, 
uh, and this is a picture of my mother. Doctor, this is a, a photograph from a 1982 uh, newspaper article about her uh, in the East Alabama Ledger Inquirer. Meet Dr. Amy, people's doctor, and there she is uh, as a pediatrician taking care of a child. So the good enough attuned mother uh, uh, is you know, not perfect, nobody's perfect, but is caring and loving, so I, I feel very blessed. Um, I also missed uh, the mixed message mother who has subtle approval, frequent critiques, and uh, more personal uh, comments about, about the child. I call it the, um, the Asian hello. Uh, it's like, oh, you look fat, your room's a mess, or when will you get a job, or you know, those kinds of you know, ways to say hello. And it could get better after that, but, uh, but that's, uh, that, that, that could be a problem. Um, and so, and there's also the supportive, democratic, open, curious mother. And actually, according to research, that's the most common parenting style, at least by self-report. So, um, so, uh, so we don't know how accurate that is, but uh, but that's uh, that's what the research has said so far. So it's not the tiger mother. Um, the tiger mother would probably be more like the great mother or the perfectionistic mother. Um, and then there's the jealous, competitive, uh, narcissistic, controlling, traumatized, and traumatizing mother. Um, so uh, this is Snow White's mother. So this actually exists. There are mothers who are, and fathers, who are this, uh, this uh, difficult uh, to deal with. Um, and there's also the absent, abandoning, or neglectful mother or father. And mothers can devalue girls or boys or, or both sometimes. So that's out there. Okay, and uh, um, yeah. All right, so Asian Americans, uh, the things we carried. So basically we can talk about devaluation and discrimination on a variety of levels. Racism, sexism, homophobia, etc. cetera. Uh, there could be double or triple challenges or obstacles in all of this. And there are a lot of words here, but I, you know, I can always send you the slide if you'd like. Um, uh, there also, we also carry traumatic experiences, which are all wounds of disconnection, of relationship, personal, intergenerational, familial, historical. Um, we also uh, worry about making it in the world in so many ways. And then meeting roadblocks. What do you do when you meet a roadblock? How do you reconstitute yourself? Um, and uh, there's emotional uh, suppression and avoidance, which is uh, so common to Asian Americans. Uh, uh, and it's, it's not the same as distress tolerance. So emotional suppression is, is really just you know, pushing down whatever difficult emotions you have and not being, trying not to be aware of them. Distress tolerance is really being aware of a difficult emotion and working with it. Uh, tools like mindfulness, self-compassion, relationship can help us uh, develop distress tolerance. But what is suppressed will rise. And in terms of making it in the world, um, Joseph Campbell said that later in life, many men uh, find that they've leaned their ladder against the wrong wall. And I think that's, uh, that can be true for women as well. It means, you know, primarily for men, it's like you, you succeed in the world of work and making money, etc. but happiness does not come from, uh, from that kind of success. Happiness comes from relationships, and that's uh, proven, and meeting goals, certainly, but, uh, but uh, relationships, and uh, George Valent, the director of the Grant Study at Harvard, the longest-running longitudinal study uh, about uh, men's health, uh, said happiness is love full stop. So uh, happiness depends on the warmth of one's relationships. 
So, um, so, so don't lean your ladder against the wrong wall is, is, uh, is one sign. But there are cultural projects right now which are uh, in a way wonderful antidotes to, uh, to the ways women have been suppressed and discriminated against, but they also kind of generate their own problems. So um, here are some cultural projects of high-profile Asian American and other uh, women. So Amy Chua, you, you know about, um, uh, 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 she's best known for the Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother, essentially advocating a high expectation, demanding attitude towards children to drive achievement. And her book triggered a lot of traumatic memories for Asian Americans. And plus, there was no mention of social justice or uh, living one's life for others in this book. You have to be a high achiever with a narrow definition of success in order to be safe and secure in the world. Um, but this pursuit can feel very narcissistic, and those methods uh, actually uh, left many of us feeling unsafe. But she's right, we do live in a very narcissistic, individualistic, competitive culture. So, um, so, uh, so we're, I'll talk more about that in a later lecture. Um, and she seems quite taken with external success and competition. But there's little understanding in that book uh, of the inner life. Um, and uh, Angela Duckworth is a MacArthur Genius Grant winner. Her work is on grit, which is uh, about perseverance and motivation, which is great. But again, it's also about uh, meeting limited objectives or uh, you know, persevering over time, which is great. It goes, all, you know, I think, combined with resilience. It's an important skill uh, to keep going. But uh, at the same time, uh, it's about uh, uh, ex these external goals and not so much about the inner life. She wrote a, a paper recently called, um, let's see, uh, uh, Beyond Willpower, Strategies for Reducing Failures of Self-Control. So you can feel the tightness in that title. Um, so she lists 21 strategies to improve self-control, all well and good, uh, but, uh, but she doesn't list self-compassion, which is actually, there's a lot of research around how self-compassion helps you uh, uh, pick yourself up after you've fallen, and actually uh, you do better than self-critique. Uh, at achieving goals. So, um, so again, inner life uh, doesn't seem to matter as much to one's product as one's productivity in this scheme. You simply achieve your objectives. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, and then Sheryl Sandberg, of course, is uh, best known and praised for Lean In, which is, you know, again, it's an antidote, I suppose, at best for uh, women being displaced in the workplace. Uh, all well and good, and you can read, there's lots of criticism on it by women as well. But I think, again, uh, she actually also wrote a book uh, about grief one year after her husband died tragically. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, first of all, it's, you know, it's kind of unusual and, and a mark of who she is that you would write a book about how to manage grief one year after you lose your husband. It's, it's quite a lot. Um, you know, but I think she's trying to be helpful um, but, uh, but she also, she doesn't mention therapy uh, in the book, um, which I thought was surprising. Um, and she created online support groups. Um, and um, she describes people saying awkward things to her uh, when she was going through grief after her loss. And instead of using this friction to develop her inner life and develop her relationships, in her book, she lists all these things you should not say. And which I think is again kind of controlling, and it's about that kind of drive and, and that face of you know it's it's, it's all about uh, you know I'm unhappy, therefore everyone else should change. 
kind of idea. And um, uh, so that's, uh, so that's uh, uh, it's not about, not so much about the inner life and developing the inner life or connecting one's common humanity because, uh, to everyone, because everyone goes through loss and grief. So, you know, this is the contrast that I'm trying to make is between the world of work and achievement and so forth and the inner world, the relational world, which actually, classically speaking, the relational world or healing the relational wound is the, the feminine journey towards healing. And I sent a link out about, uh, about this uh, in, in some artist's work. Um, so uh, so uh, this is why I admire Marie Kondo so much. She's really trying to bring a sense of relatedness to her work, not only how we relate to our possessions, but also how we relate to each other uh, as people. Um, so I, I kind of can categorize the first three as being the great mother or perfectionistic mother, and, um, and, and, and Marie Kondo is a supportive democratic mother who understands loss and life. Um, so, so that's just kind of the range of things that's out there. I mean, I think it's probably all necessary in terms of what women are talking about and how they're advancing. But, but I think, you know, as a man, I think I want more of the relational uh, energy as well in the world rather than about power hierarchy and getting what you want over others. Um, in a sense of uh, our achievements are linked, not ranked. Um, and I think that's a classically feminine uh, approach. Um, so, um, so here's, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if any of you have read The Four Agreements. Um, be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions and always do your best. Don Miguel Ruiz. And I think Asian American women have to deal with the four appeasements. Okay. So, um, so it's appeasing your family, appeasing work appeasing your friends and peers, and also appeasing these random cultural and quasi-supernatural forces, which are just like larger in life, your principles, God, goddess, Buddha, Christ, I mean, the, another, another uh, appeasement. Um, but, but it's all of this relational uh, work versus being true, saying no, and being true to yourself. So that's a challenge that uh, I think many people face, but particularly women. So um, just a, a quick uh, overview of Asian American population in the United States. About 80% comes from six groups, Chinese, Asian Indian, Vietnamese, Filipino, Korean, and Japanese. Um, and you see Taiwanese separated out from Chinese there. So I'll just point that out uh, for you. It's, uh, they're, they're over here, uh, 215,000. So the other 20% are of many, many groups. Um, and uh, so uh, this is uh, expected to double in percentage by 2060. Um, but this, this diagram brings up questions for me. What is Asian American identity, really, when it's so diverse? What, how cohesive is it? And uh, how does identity and a sense of belonging factor into uh, our, our sense of who we are? So I think belonging questions are very central to Asian Americans, uh, and I think that's where, uh, that's kind of our primary relational wound. Um, so I won't go into all the details, this is an overview of immigration history and discrimination. Asian Americans have been here for 400 years, uh, but uh, two-thirds of us are first uh, are, uh, uh, immigrants or children of immigrants. So uh, a relatively uh, young population overall, um, but 
and, uh, but which has faced historical discriminations uh, uh, as far back and even further back than the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1882 um, and, and, and a bunch of other uh, immigration-related acts and, of course, Japanese-American incarceration in, in the, during World War II. And they're all, uh, we all have to deal with uh, wounds of relatedness, belonging, acceptance and inclusion, uh, and the effects of colonialism, war, violence, racism, sexism, uh, classism, religious discrimination, and so forth. Um, and, and there have been some advances, of course. Uh, Chinese Exclusion Act was repealed. Um, there's, there was a 1964 Civil Rights Act and the 1965 Voting Rights Act. The 1965 Immigration Act, which really opened the doors to more Asian immigration. Um, and of course, the 1988 Civil Liberties Act for redress and reparations. And this is a photograph of Dalip Singh Sand, uh, who uh, came to the US when he was about 20 years old, around 1920. He became a judge, and he was the first Sikh and Indian American congressman. He was an advocate for immigration and civil rights. And of course, we have the Crazy Rich Asians Act of 2018, which, which uh, overturned all of the discrimination. Um, right, so, okay, obviously not, but, um, and, and also this year we have the Farewell Act of 2019, which is doing its work. And I think, you know, basically, if, if you know, obviously I don't mean that those uh, totally changed everything, but I think if, if, if we as Asian Americans can have as much love for each other as these filmmakers had for their subjects, I think we'd be doing very well. Um, so I won't go into all the details here. Uh, I can, again, I can send you the slide. This is broad understandings of the Asian American psyche. And I think interdependence uh, and a family-centered ego is very important in, for Asian Americans. Uh, thinking interdependently as opposed to individualistically, which is the primary uh, way uh, of America, which has become narcissistic, especially in the last 50 years and I'll talk more about that in a later lecture. Um, this also leads to what's called the context-sensitive self, which is thinking about who one is as others see us. So that's, the, we are who we are in context. Um, and you know that has to be balanced with who we are to ourselves. And I think as Asian Americans, and particularly as women, uh, uh, to think about one, who one is to oneself as opposed to who one is to others is very important to have that balance. Um, there are other things uh, like coming from face cultures, so that sense of honor and shame that can come up, which can lead to avoidance and, and all of that. So I think that's important to keep in mind. Um, and uh, uh, from the Korean culture, Han, or a sense of collective oppression or suffering, I think is really important, as I'll talk about. Um, amairu from uh, Japanese culture. Uh, amairu is uh, a sense of uh, want, uh, the need to be cared for. Uh, and it's, uh, uh, it's everyone, we all have dependency needs, which I don't think are really addressed in a narcissistic, individualistic, competitive society. So in an interdependent society, uh, there are subtle ways that we ask for care from each other. Uh, and, and that's called amairu in, in Japan. Um, also, Asian Americans tend to be more pessimistic than uh, white Americans. 
um, but also just as optimistic. So this is thought to uh, uh, build resilience uh, for difficult times and comes from a history, I think, of difficulty. Um, and also, I think uh, we're talking about women's psychology. So I think even though the societies are overarchingly patriarchal, Asian societies, uh, I think there's a lot of maternal dominance uh, in, in individual families. So moms play a strong role. Um, okay. So again, these are, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, let me rewind. Um, okay, so, so if this is all too hard to remember, uh, let me just uh, say, happy baby Boba Buddha. Uh, uh, we all like babies. Uh, we all like Boba, right? And uh, Buddhism is actually uh, the Asian-generated religion, which is uh, so influential throughout all of Asia. Okay, so um, uh, we are diverse in all these ways I mentioned. Uh, uh, you know, from ethnically, intra-ethnically, uh, religion, philosophy, gender, body type the kinds of illnesses that uh, different ethnic groups carry. I mean, there's so much diversity. But what unites us um, beyond our immigration experiences and experiences of racism uh, and discrimination, there are cultural, philosophical, familial, and psychological commonalities in Asian America. And also a political cultural movement beginning in the 60s that invented the term Asian American, although uh, there are some uh, Chinese Americans who were using the term Chinese American back in the 1800s. So, um, so this has precedent. Um, so I, I first found my sense of belonging in the Asian American community and in college, and that's that's still true. But uh, but there's a you know we've grown so much since then. So I think you know cultivating that sense of commonality of purpose and identity and belonging is is so important. Um, so there's some broad. Uh, principles about Asian American mental health, which have been recognized in the literature. This is uh, from some large surveys. There's actually, that found actually surprisingly to me, there's a lower prevalence uh, rate of DSM, uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, psychiatric diagnoses in Asia, the Asian American population as a whole. Um, but there are higher rates in certain subgroups and gender-wise, there are some higher rates, which we'll talk about. Um, but also, dis despite uh, lower rates, uh, supposedly, of uh, mental health disorders, there's a lower rate of service utilization. So we don't seek care as much. Um, but, but there are a lot of unresolved questions. Um, Under-reporting might be a problem. Also, uh, Asians and Asian Americans might or don't describe their distress in the typical ways that are accepted by the Western psychiatric community. Um, I, the, there's a, what's been called the weird bias in uh, psychiatric diagnosis. Uh, the, these samples that the researcher done on are westernized, uh, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic samples. So it doesn't represent Asian Americans. So a lot of research still needs to be done. There are also cultural differences in, in psychology and temperament, uh, which may alter symptom expression particularly being more somatic in the way we uh, uh, experience distress, having headaches, stomach aches, etc. cetera. Uh, uh, it's called neurasthenia in, in Asia, as opposed to what's classically called major depressive disorder, for example. Um, and actually, uh, if you uh, ask Asian Americans, uh, uh, do they have distress, you, you measure them on a scale, they actually can report higher levels of distress than white Americans, 
But if you then subsequently interview them, uh, they, they don't meet criteria for depression. So whatever distress we are experiencing does not fit the classical major depressive disorder. I personally think there's some kind of complex relational uh, uh, trauma and related to racism as well, which causes distress, uh, familial, cultural, and so forth, relational trauma, which causes distress, um, but it's not quite depression. Um, it's something else. That's my personal view, and, and uh, that hasn't really been written about. Um, and just a few brief words about uh, Asian American psychology. Um, so Stanley Sue, uh, in the 1970s described the marginal man or woman, the person who's committed to assimilation uh, and wiping out any difference. And so there's always a split between themselves and society. And um, uh, they, they remain committed blindly to American ideals, but they're forever disenfranchised from those ideals. So there's the split. Um, then uh, uh, the way I uh, 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 put it was, um, uh, to remix Jesus, um, if I could do that for a moment, what does it profit a person to gain whiteness and lose their soul? So there's, you know, uh, I mean, what does that mean? I think there's something particularly Asian, which we, we can cultivate, which is good. Um, and this is, you know, I think uh, sometimes racism uh, uh, makes Asian Americans sometimes feel bad and disconnected from the general society ideals. So being made, the bad or unacceptable object of society is a deep wound. Um, and uh, this book that came out earlier this year talks a bit about that by Eng and Han. They, were, they are a psychotherapist and a literature professor, racial melancholia, racial dissociation. And their basic theme, I haven't read the whole book, but uh, I've read some, essay, uh, some essays from it and about it. Um, so as Asian Americans, we suffer losses primarily because of racism and the impossibility of assimilation. And college students' issues in particular are sometimes seen as a result of conflict with family or school pressures, but the analysis doesn't go deeply enough into deeper cultural losses or racism. Um, and they do get to relatedness as a means of holding these losses, but I think they're overly reliant on a psychoanalytic framework um, and a political, overly political or exclusively political framework for healing, um, leaving out inner work, mindfulness, compassion, belonging, art, and so forth, these other ways we can heal. Um, and, uh, and I, of course, see great uh, resonance between the suffering of Asian Americans and the, the way other marginalized groups in America suffer. And um, certainly white supremacy is something we should aim our sights at, um, but also aiming our sights at a narcissistic, uh, competitive, individualistic, and antagonistic culture uh, that again turns us into either bad or useful objects for its use um, in a utilitarian sense. And a few years ago, I wrote about Asian American Han. Uh, this is a sense of, borrowed from the Korean term, that we have a sense of collective suffering or oppression that we share. And we're, we feel each other's distress in subtle ways. Um, and there's another Korean concept called jong, which is derived from interdependence. It's just as the mind is not separated from the body, so the self is not separated from other selves. We're all connected in some way. And I think that idea of Han really captures that. And I think there's also a, a broader beyond Asian American Han. There's an American Han, uh, and there's a global Han as well that we can, we can think about in, in terms of how we're connected in our suffering across uh, all of our groups.
So uh, just some, uh, uh, this is from a 2011 uh, paper, uh, and uh, uh, Chinese-American women, uh, based on this large study, Chinese-American women report worse mental health, self-report worse mental health uh, uh, than Filipino and Vietnamese. You can see in purple, uh, reporting uh, fair uh, 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 mental health, 15.4% uh, of Chinese, as, and about half of that Filipino or Vietnamese, and everybody else is lumped into the other category. Um, so, so by self-report, Chinese-American women report worse mental health. And overall, mental health service utilization is lower than whites, but it's particularly low for Vietnamese women. So something to keep in mind. So some quick words about uh, depression. Again, there's supposedly a lower prevalence of uh, mental health problems in Asian Americans, including depression. And these problems are lower in immigrants, supposedly, versus US born. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, there's some work that shows that as the more generations you spend in the United States, the, more, the closer you match the general population. Um, and uh, overall, Asian American women do suffer more depression than men uh, and uh, do express their uh, depression more in somatic bodily terms. Uh, and uh, Chinese American women reporting poor health, poor social supports, and higher levels of life stress report more depression, should be obvious. Korean American immigrants report higher levels of depression than whites. Korean American women report higher levels of depression and alcohol abuse than Korean American men. Um, uh, and uh, Filipinas report higher levels of depression but lower rates of seeking help and higher self ratings of mental health. Um, although that paper had this great uh, quote, it said, uh, it, we still need to study the, uh, the, the superior self-help report of Filipino women, uh, which oh, I thought was like this, because Filipino women actually report uh, really uh, high levels of satisfaction with mental health. And the authors suggested that it could be related to connection to church and so forth. So, um, or it could be just the way people self-report. Uh, so it's, it's hard to know. Um, okay. So suicide um, is, is multifactorial, but certainly feeling helpless, hopeless, worthless, devalued, disconnected, and inadequate are major factors. Feeling shame, uh, feeling that one is unacceptable. Um, and we have to bring those difficult emotions into relatedness, or they can spin out into terrible all-or-nothing stories about our self-worth. Um, so if anyone you know is feeling suicidal, ask them, are you thinking about harming yourself? It's very important. You won't, uh, you won't cause them to have that thought. Um, suicide is the second highest cause of death for Asian Americans age 15 to 24. There have been clusters of suicide uh, in high school and college of Asian American suicide. And from 1999 to 2017, there, there's, there was a, uh, about a 70% increase in suicides for women, for boys and girls, age and men, boys, women, girls, uh, boy, boys, men, girls and women, ages 15 to 24, almost a 70% increase. Uh, Asian American college students have increased suicidal thoughts and uh, attempts versus whites. And amongst Asian Americans, the ages of 20 to 24 had the highest rates of suicide. Um, 65 to 84 year old Asian American women have the highest suicide rate of any ethnicity. Um, 
Asian American men are most at risk at age 75 to 24, 75 to 84, with 42 deaths per thousand, 100,000. Um, and you know, notably, again, to mention Korean Americans, the suicide rate has doubled from 2003 to 2012, uh, you know, for both men and women. And more research is needed on, on all of these issues, particularly the younger populations. Um, and, uh, uh, so, and, and of course, the mental health of women affects men and vice versa. Um, so just a few more words about suicide. And from 2014 to 2015, Asian American girls' death rates and suicidal ideation rates were similar to whites. Um, and of those who considered suicide, girls are more likely to attempt suicide than whites. Um, and it's overall a story of risk for youth. Uh, and you know, this, is, uh, this has been correlated with smartphones uh, uh, and so forth, uh, likely mediated by social comparison, which particularly for body image, I think issues are, are particularly difficult for women, uh, girls and women. Uh, Instagram, uh, inspiration, uh, these kinds of things can be very uh, toxic uh, for boys and girls, but especially girls. Um, and, uh, and also this, uh, 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 the idea of uh, their culturally imposed pressures of achievement that land on youth, uh, I think that's, uh, that, that, that's part of it. Um, but also this, again, this, the pressures of racism. We're living in very you know, dramatically, uh, outwardly racist times. And I think this has a particular effect on young people who don't have uh, maybe as many positive relational experiences yet to know, uh, you know, to have a better sense of the world. I mean, I think it's difficult for adults too to deal with what's going on right now, but, but particularly for youth. Um, so I won't talk too much about domestic violence. I wrote a book, uh, an ebook that's available for free download called Asian American Anger. Uh, domestic violence is present in all ethnicities uh, and, and with high levels um, and um, uh, in, in many different groups. Um, and uh, uh, so uh, you, can, you can kind of look at uh, my book to, to, my short essay in that book to, to hear more about domestic violence and, and misogyny and, and also uh, about sexual harassment. I think you know, one thing I don't address in that, in that essay is uh, really is sexual harassment and, and gender violence, uh, uh, more broadly speaking. Um, but, uh, but I think now we're, we're ha certainly having a great uh, time uh, of uh, awareness with the Me Too movement. Uh, I don't know if you saw Chanel Miller's uh, uh, 60 Minutes uh, interview uh, last weekend. So these are uh, many uh, powerful voices and also the uh, rape and murder of Jyoti Singh in 2012 in India. I mean, these are things that sent shockwaves around the world. So I, I, I think this is a really uh, tragic but, uh, but important time of awakening. Um, and I wrote in my book, this world-defining relationship of men and women marred in the extreme by violence is prime evidence of the world's brokenness and suffering. It is also, by nature, the main hope for the world's redemption, which must be, of course, in the triumph of love. And if there is a gender war, I think there are many more gender collaborators. We are, after all, not entrenched enemies. We're mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, partners, friends, and community, with one hopes a mutual common destiny. And of course, men have to be more responsive and sensitive to violence and, and uh, the historical traumas of women. Uh, and so if women think they're alone in connecting the dots, 
we won't have progress. Um, so, um, so, uh, and, and also, you know, similarly, if women stay stuck in a split which demonizes men, I think that's going to be hard to, to make the connection as well. So there has to be a lot more communication, um, I think. So here's a, a diagram about uh, trauma and relatedness. And so, so we all start out with a, a common humanity. We're all born uh, on this earth. Uh, we all share so many things uh, in life. Uh, but we also share insecurity, uncertainty, vulnerability, and precarity. And these are different for men and women, but they are there for both genders if we, if we look closely. Um, and from that, we develop relationships with self and other, and a wound, and sometimes a trauma, a disconnection, which could be real or perceived personal or communal trauma. And I think this, we have what's called two spirits. You know, one side, I think, is very related and connected, and the other side is very kind of uh, concerned with safety and survival and self-protection. And that can lead to this trauma spiral, which is mistrust, avoidance, uh, uh, toxicity, reactivity, anxiety, depression, shame, blame, scapegoating, uh, trying to take power over others uh, to feel safe, uh, trying to win antagonistically, win-lose cycle splitting. This happens for both men and women. I think, you know, I think, you know, uh, psychologically speaking, we can certainly see examples of this in our current environment. Um, and then, you know, side by side with that, there's a cultivation of relatedness cultivation of friendliness and compassion for self and other, stability of identity and relationship, to finally get towards this uh, interdependent identity. So I think these things work side by side and diffusing the trauma spiral, but, but also keeping connected to a sense of safety uh, is important, um, but also developing identity and relationship along the way. Um, so uh, the challenges for Asian American uh, women uh, of course, work, love, and play, the classic triad, um, and a whole variety of other things, working towards a, a sense of interdependence, as I mentioned, um, but also distress and frustration tolerance, facing what can seem the annihilatory disapproval of the culture and environment and, and in gender relations, uh, feeling invisibilized, feeling sexualized, feeling devalued, feeling erased. I mean, I think these are all things that persist in, in our collective uh, consciousness. Um, and I think since women uh, tend to be closer to the relational world, I think they, they feel those uh, strongly and uh, perhaps in a different way than men do. Um, and, and of course, spiritual and philosophical growth and coherence And there. We all have existential questions of life about purpose, meaning, uh, relatedness, and, and death, um, and, and loneliness. Um, Okay, so I'm going to wander into some, uh, some potentially uh, difficult uh, territory, which I think gets so heated online, and there's like no chance for dialogue um, uh, online, but hopefully uh, in face-to-face -face we can talk about this. Grace Cow, a Yale sociologist, wrote in a 2018 paper, we find that despite the higher education and income of Asian American men, there is evidence that they are systematically excluded from having romantic relationships during adolescence and young adulthood. Um, and so we have to find ways to speak with compassion about gender relations in our community. And all too often it becomes a matter of anger, power, uh, power relations, and pain online 
and not really about love, understanding, and compassion. Um, and so there's some statistics that back up these things. Uh, there's a higher out, quote unquote, out marriage rate for women, which varies by ethnicity. In 2015, 36% of Asian American female newlyweds married out versus 21% of Asian American men. Uh, and you probably all have heard that Asian American men and black women are the quote unquote least desirable on dating apps. So we can talk about the reasons for this. Is this as well a result of racism, uh, living in a majority white culture, uh, different experiences growing up which condition people? I think there's uh, something which has not been talked People talk about internalized racism and racism and all this. There's all this blame and scapegoating that goes on. But I think we just have to recognize that we all do have vulnerability and dependency needs. And um, you know, a, a brief story. Uh, I was talking to a friend in another city, an Asian American woman, uh, and uh, I asked her if she wanted to, if she was, would think about going to a purple state to uh, talk about compassion and so forth with me. And she said, that sounds like a great idea, but I would feel more comfortable traveling with a white man or a, with a white group. And I thought that was really interesting. You know, I mean, it's, it's like, in one sense, it's really honest because there's genuinely and understandably a lot of fear uh, about being a person of color and a woman of color in these areas. But it's also this uh, ascribing to whiteness, this sense of power and safety, um, which, I mean, I don't think that's really true you know, maybe it's true, but, but I don't think it's fully true. Um, um, so, I mean, I think this idea of uh, uh, who makes you feel safer, uh, who makes you feel more powerful, uh, and so forth, I think that, that plays a role in this. So, so um, but I think these are all issues we can work with, and I think we can give compassion to anybody, no matter their relational choice. And it's just something that, you know, I have Asian American women who have married white men or Jewish men, and they, they still think about their relational choices. So it's not like, I don't think it should be a taboo subject for all of us. Um, but I think we can make this a win-win situation. So N-G-U-Y-E-N, uh, so shout out to the Vietnamese there. Um, so, uh, so this is a, a still from, uh, oh, that was a still from, uh, from The Sun is Also a Star, a, a recent Asian American rom-com. And I wrote about all these issues in an essay called The Three-Body Problem in Asian American Relations, um, in Asian American Romance. Um, so, uh, so uh, I think there are also uh, per messages we get from our parents about dating, romance, and sexuality. And it's, we often can get scaremongering uh, kind of words to, it, it's a distraction, uh, don't do it, when will you get married, turning a blind eye to the dating, not even talking about it, uh, or uh, actually to openness and support, which happens uh, um, as well. So there's a, a wide uh, variation. And this might be another factor in, uh, in how people find love in the world. Okay, so let's talk about it. All right. Um, and also there's, there's a difference in touch in American societies versus Asian societies. Uh, in my observation, uh, Asian societies generally tend to be higher touch. Certainly I see that in, in, in India and in China. When I've traveled, there seems a lot of touch. Um, but Asian, America is a touch-deprived culture. Um, there was a study uh, that uh, compared uh, different cities uh, and conversations in touch over a cup of coffee. Um, in London, there was zero touch. In Florida, there was two touches. In Paris, there was 110. And in San Juan, Puerto Rico, there was 180 touches. 
Um, so, so we live in a touch-deprived culture, and maybe that's something we can think about and change as well. Um, so, um, so I think there are all these uh, potential Asian American rom-coms that should be made. Uh, Love Actually with misogynist zombies, so overcome those for sure. Um, there's When Harry and Sally Avoided Each Other Because of Unresolved Childhood Trauma. That's a true story. Um, and Four Asian American Weddings and a Funeral for Racism, Sexism, and Homophobia. I think we should definitely make that one. Um, so I just want to talk about a few films, some general uh, themes about Asian American women's journeys in films. Um, and this will, this will go quick, we're almost at the end here. Um, so The Farewell, um, there, uh, there's uh, the relationships between uh, uh, the daughter, uh, Billy, and the mother, the father, and the uncle, and Nai-Nai, the grandmother. Um, and so uh, the mother says, you cannot come with us, you cannot keep a secret. So this is the idea that you have to suppress your emotions. Um, and there's a cultural conditioning that it's unacceptable to express grief because it would burden others. And I think that's totally wrong, uh, but understandable because, uh, well, grief connects us and deepens us. Um, but there's also this, you know, it may be true that, uh, that, uh, that some families are not able to handle grief uh, uh, thoroughly. But, um, but there's also this uh, almost uh, superstitious or magical thinking, I, I thought, in the movie that emotions that grief can kill or overwhelm you. And um, uh, perhaps the well of tears for this immigrant family and Diana Lynn as the mother who survived historical and familial trauma and loss is deep. But I think with compassion and relationship, we can hold this. And perhaps this anxious mom never really had anyone to help her with her own difficult emotions, so she particularly fears them. And I don't think mom had someone like Nai-Nai in her life. Um, so the uncle speech is the other uh, thing that stood out for a lot of people, that the individual is part of a whole. And I, I like this speech because it's a contrast to the American narcissistic way of thinking. Um, but, uh, but it's also, uh, uh, you know, it's also kind of suppressing Billy as well. And it would make me, if I were Billy, feel erased, like my emotions and individuality aren't part of the whole, uh, but that I have to suppress my individuality to conform. So Billy holds grief for the whole family, and she's the designated emoter. And Lulu Wong, the director, has effectively created an emotive experience for all of us, which is her revenge, I suppose, in a way. Um, uh, you think you carry the whole uncle, well, I'm going to create a bigger whole. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, I think, I think that she, uh, Billy and Lulu are like Colin Kaepernick, um, that uh, they kind of took a knee on the whole situation, and they're calling us to this bigger picture of relationship, love, and loss. Um, and the father is joking almost in the background, but you can sense that he's had a lot to, to, had to do a lot to stay stable for the whole family. And, but he's been bottling his emotions, sometimes with a literal bottle of alcohol. I mean, Nai-Nai is just total grandmotherly love and acceptance. Um, but I think we have to think about how we might police each other's emotional expression and how our immigrant identities uh, have loss. Um, and, and we have to kind of broaden to kind of uh, take all of that in. So, um, so my message about that is life is about I, not AI, the artificial intelligence that I talked about before. So um, love is central. Um, just a brief few words about crazy rich Asians. Uh, you know, uh, the matriarch Eleanor uh, embodies this, uh, this uh, kind of the feminine, which is about duty to family that trumps happiness, pleasure, and love. 
but Rachel goes on a journey that integrates masculine and feminine. She achieves worldly success as a professor, but then she has to overcome obstacles. She has to navigate hostile territory to challenge and upset the old order and create a new order of mutual relatedness. And the ensemble cast shows a lot of relatedness. So again, I think that's very kind of a feminine uh, journey uh, principles. And, and she reaffirms love for her own mother, stays true to herself, creates a deeper meaning in love, uh, of love, and she sticks it to the great mother, Eleanor. She creates a new order of mutual relatedness. And the message here is that love is authenticity and staying true to yourself and the people you love, not face appearances and material success. So, um, whoops. Um, Oh, sorry, that was supposed to be, uh, this is, uh, that slide got misplaced. Um, but, uh, uh, so this is about a movie called Meditation Park. It's by uh, director uh, uh, Mina Shum from Canada. Uh, if you, you can see it on Netflix. Um, so it's about uh, a, a Chinese-American uh, mom and wife uh, named Maria, played by Cheng Pei Pei. She's a Cantonese-speaking immigrant wife and mother for whom English is a second language. She doesn't drive. She seems joyfully content in her corner of the Canadian landscape, and uh, and you know she is she gets the rug pulled out from under her. She finds another woman's thong in her husband Bing's pocket, and this upends her and sends her on a journey of dislocation, emancipation, transformation, and ultimately what could be seen as a higher level of spiritual and relational development. And Maria's journey is about her. And she goes through all these emotions of her, of her betrayal, vulnerability, forgiveness, sympathy, anger, and she gets to greater independence. But her husband Bing's vulnerability and needs are also revealed. Um, and so affairs obviously cause a great deal of suffering, but Shum, uh, Mina Shum showcases the woman's journey towards wholeness, not predicated on subordinating her needs and emotions to her husband. She's challenged, she expresses herself, and she finds herself. And there's kind of strings left hanging at the end, like does she come back to her husband? Does he change his mind uh, and soul to be more related? So that's left open. Um, and so we're left to imagine what happens next. Um, and, uh, oh, sorry, this is, this is uh, 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 again, I missed, uh, I didn't do the animation properly here. Um, uh, so this is about a film that's in theaters right now, Miss Purple. Um, it's about a young Korean-American woman, Casey, who struggles to care for her comatose father by working as a hostess in a domi bar, um, and she deals with a toxic masculine. Um, and I see her transformation in at least three areas, so important for Asian Americans and women in particular. One, in asking for help. Asian Americans, as I said, underutilize mental health and other social services. Second, in standing up for herself and others uh, to the point of embodying a, a vengeful, uh, ultimately liberating animus um, and uh, kind of the aggressive masculine part of a woman's psyche. And thirdly, in feeling comfortable and confident to open up to the gifts of masculine kindness in relating to uh, another, uh, a man in the film. So happiness is love full stop, and happiness comes from a greater capacity to deal with difficult emotions and situations. So uh, in this movie, I think we saw that we, you can see that life is a bitter pill, but love makes it go down a lot easier. Um, and this is a, uh, a slide of a piece of art that I saw in Marin uh, last month. 
Um, uh, this is uh, Lisa Rodandi's equal equalescence. And you can see on this side, there's a barely perceptible equal sign, uh, which is kind of tethered and held, into place, held in place by greater than and less than signs. So, so, um, so it's finding that sense of common humanity uh, really uh, is an antidote for these up and ups and downs that I think all people go through, um, uh, and the artist expresses, uh, uh, particularly uh, in, you know, as she said, uh, that uh, uh, my parents are survivors of war and violence, uh, and this exhibit was called Hungry Ghosts, and she said, my primary hungry ghost that brings me great suffering and pain is really this sense of not belonging, not being connected. It pains me what's going on with this country, that's part of what inspired me to make this piece. So finding that sense of common humanity uh, and equality uh, really uh, resonated with me uh, because it takes us out of that narcissistic, competitive, uh, kind of uh, uh, antagonistic uh, uh, way that uh, we're conditioned to behave uh, in society. Uh, and so what's in the middle is actually greater than the rest, if you could see those signs in the middle. So, um, so equality or common humanity is greater. Um, so love is living in our equality, common humanity, and ordinariness. Um, okay, so, um, so ordinary people do extraordinary things. Um, there are many Asian American female heroes, and they're the everyday unsung heroes uh, who don't make the headlines, but who do so much uh, in the community. Uh, and I see some of them in the audience uh, here. Um, but uh, uh, this is Zara Bilu from the Council on Arab-Islamic Relationships, uh, Relations, uh, and, uh, 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 and uh, Jean Shinoda Bolin, who's a psychotherapist, Pramila Jayapal, Maya Lin, Maxine Hong Kingston, Grace Lee Boggs, Naomi Osaka, who just had a wonderful moment at the US Open where she defeated uh, uh, another young woman, uh, but she comforted her because uh, the woman was distressed and that, that, that really was, I think, very moving. It's a different view of competition that, that uh, again, that we're linked and not ranked, uh, really. Uh, uh, Kalpana Chawa, uh, Satsuki Ina, a, psycho a psychologist and psychotherapist, and Maisie Hirano uh, from Hawaii. Um, so I think anyone can be a hero if they just stop to notice the needs of others and, and start to care for them. Um, so the quote I sent out uh, in the email today was from Muriel Rukeyser. What would happen if one woman told the truth about her life? The world would split open. And that's, uh, that's happening, as uh, another, an artist, Rano Mukherjee, said uh, recently at the De Young, a couple years ago, actually. It feels like history is cracking open right now. Um, I think this was just in the year after the election. Um, and uh, Jean Shinoda Bolin, uh, who's written a lot on uh, Asian American women's or women's journeys. Um, I believe that the thought that women together can change the world is emerging uh, uh, into the minds and hearts of many of us, and that the vessel for personal and planetary evolution is a circle with a spiritual center. So thank you, that's the end of my talk. And I appreciate your listening. Uh, thank you. Yeah, so, yeah you can be free to leave, or, or if you have any questions, uh, you can ask. Yeah. For the um, Asian American young people, is it the second highest cause of death? Yes. What's the first? Uh, accidents, oh. I believe. I believe it's accidents. Uh, and
cancer is up there too, so. And do you have Thank you. I'm sorry, what's that? Why the elderly API woman have the highest suicide rate of any, any? Of any ethnicity, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and, that, and that's versus also men too, right? Uh, that's just of women. Oh, of okay. women, okay. right, right. Anyway, but yeah, yeah. same question. Uh, uh, Asian American men, I believe, have a higher suicide rate than Asian American women at that age. But, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but do you have any insights into why that might To why? Um, uh, thank you, thank you for coming. Yeah. I I Social isolation, I think, is a primary loss of role in life. Uh, relationships and role, uh, work and so forth. I mean, those are all isolating factors. Um, untreated mental health issues. Um, I think, you know, that's, that's kind of speculation, but I think there's a lot more research that needs to be done about this. Uh, is this Asian American woman um, psychic and life journey? Is it written by you, and is it possible to find it somewhere? Oh, uh, that was just the title of this talk. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, that's yeah. And is there something like um, that's the top of the talk? Uh, what about the Asian American heart? Is that a yeah, that's in the book on Asian American anger. That I—that's when I first wrote about it. I don't know if anybody else wrote about that, but but that's an ebook that's available online. Who yeah. is it by? That's by me. Yeah, yeah. It's called Asian American Anger. Uh, so if you go to my website, ravichandramd.com, you'll find it. Yeah, there. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. You're welcome. Yes. Thank you, um, So can you recommend refer? Any Resource-wise, actually, I mean, you know, it, it depends, you know, I think there are a lot of Asian-American therapists, actually, uh, and psychiatrists, so, yeah, uh, really, well, if you go to psychologytoday.com, uh, and you can look for Asian, uh, you know, do a search for Asian therapists, and, uh, or, or, you know, or by language, and so forth, so there are actually quite a few, and then I think it, but, but also if you, uh, you know, there's also, um, there's also certain centers like, uh, Rams or Chinatown North Beach, which specialize in uh, Asian American issues. Um, so yeah. Any group type um, um, or support groups? Yeah, I don't know specifically. I mean, you're in one, I guess, uh, um, right? Uh, but uh, for art, uh, so yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, wonderful art uh, that we saw, and yeah, yeah. and yeah, yeah, I have pictures of that in the the article that I sent out. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, otherwise, you know, I think um, I don't I don't know, but I can certainly you know uh, find specifically uh, if you're looking for something uh, specific. Um, um, there are, yeah, yeah. The PLC writer there right now. Oh, yeah, the right now. Uh, there's a writers group for uh, for people of color. It's called Right Now. Um, yeah. Uh, Is that found in the city? It's at the library once a month. Yeah. 
Ja. 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 Welcome. Could you give me again your uh, website? Sure. It's Ravi. Chandra MD.com. at the White House. Her words hit me hard like a light bulb. Fictitious depictions of girls must die out. If we want to live in a world that triumphs, I am just talking about loving the femme. I ain't talking about nobody else. Toxic masculinity has to end. I'm just talking about loving ourselves. You can catch me singing these words in a black, other white, futurist female t-shirt like